Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. My name is Matt Bruski. I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action of Wisconsin. And welcome to fall. It, it is election season. And that means we have with us Citizen Action's Movement Politics Director as a special guest panelist this week, Priscilla Bork. Priscilla, good to have you. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Oh, we're excited to have you. It is an exciting time of the year. And Robert Craig, who absolutely loves this time of year. Robert Craig, Executive Director here at Citizen Action. Robert, good to have you. Uh, good to be here, but it's kind of a nervous time of year, too, because there are huge stakes and it could turn out either way, a very good way or a very terrible way. Yeah, absolutely. But look, this is not something that just occurs in a state of nature. Our actions matter. And that is why we have Priscilla on this podcast, because we want to spend some time talking about that. Uh, very specifically, the idea that we're now post-Labor Day, which means the campaigns are in full season. Voters who normally don't pay as much attention are starting to pay attention. And we need to go out and start talking to them. And Citizen Action has been doing tremendous work already, uh, especially in the primary. But we have already, Priscilla, launched with our National Network People's Action phone banks every Wednesday night. Yes. And this Saturday, we're launching canvases in Milwaukee and Green Bay and the next week in Wausau, Claire. Tell us more and why our listeners should be really excited and get involved. Yeah, yeah. Um... Like you said, it's it's election season now. Like you can't ignore it anymore. If you haven't been getting mail, you've been seeing it on TV and billboards and just everywhere. Uh, but we are hitting the ground full speed ahead. We've done two weeks of phone banks so far with People's Action on Wednesday night with about 30 people every week. Wow, he that's a lot of people. It's a lot of people to stay on a phone bank the whole time <laughs> um, and to keep coming back every week as well. Like looking at the numbers in the weeks ahead, these numbers just keep going up all the way to November 8th. Uh, so I'm excited for so many people around the country that are when, tuned, that are calling on those Wednesday nights. When you when you say uh, 30 people calling Wednesday night, tell tell our listeners more about who are we calling? What's what what are these conversations like and why? Why are they so important to Mandela Barnes' success and, quite frankly, a lot of progressives up and down the ticket? Yeah, so we're talking to people who are voters but might not be paying attention in the off years. We want to try and expand the number of voters that we have in the state of Wisconsin, expand the people that we know are, are leaning with us. Um, we're having these conversations, not just a, hey, will you vote for Mandela conversation, but hey, like, how do you feel about voting this cycle? Are you excited? Are you not excited? What does it mean to have affordable health care and affordable medications and being able to make ends meet? So our volunteers from around the country are talking to Wisconsinites about real issues, connecting them to Mandela, but really connecting them to the overall movement. So it's really, it's a real conversation that people are having. And it's so exciting to hear volunteers talk about the conversations where they're like, yeah, this person started out as leaning Johnson. And by the end, they're like, yeah, I'll vote for Mandela. Uh, it's it's wonderful to hear people being able to make those real moves in real time. 
let me just tell our listeners, I did some of, uh, I have done um, some of this volunteer work on the doors, particularly pre-primary, and I can tell you the conversations are powerful. Um, and I've also had conversations where we've been, you know, I think we're able to move people into membership or try to get people to consider becoming members of Citizen Action, right? People that share our values and maybe are just a little discouraged uh, with what they're experiencing, but trying to get them active and why they need to also get out, vote, but also become involved in an organization like Citizen Action. Yeah. Uh, so doors, we're starting doors on Saturday. Tell us more. We're starting doors on Saturday. I am so excited. We've got a lofty goal of about a thousand door shifts throughout the next like two and a half months. Uh, so we definitely need your help. Uh, we're starting in Green Bay and the Milwaukee suburbs this Saturday and then Eau Claire, Wausau and the north side of Milwaukee next Saturday for Mandela and then various down ballot races because we know the importance of having Mandela, but also of protecting that veto of having assembly reps and state senate reps who actually represent real grassroots movement like citizen action so i'm excited to have some real movement allies um, across the state that we're going to be canvassing for we've got jeff smith over at eau claire uh hannah bocamp pope and renee gash over in green bay luann bird nathan jaroski here in milwaukee uh kristen conway over in wausau so we've got some really great progressive I'm, citizen action champions around the state. I'm, I'm really glad you mentioned the state legislative candidates because yeah. while Mandela is extraordinarily important and we will be talking about him everywhere throughout the state, these state ledge races are important and uh, we're going to be talking to folks about them. And a lot of people who are going to show up in this election don't know who these state legislative candidates are. And we can be extraordinarily effective and persuasive uh, with getting out information on that. So I really, really want to encourage our listeners, if you're in the Milwaukee area this weekend, come on out to Greenfield. We're going to be meeting at Karen Kirsch's house. I will have the address. Also, we'll have links to where you can go. We're going to start at 10 o'clock. I will be there. I'm going out doing doors. I cannot wait to talk about Luann Bird. I was thrilled to get a chance to meet her in the endorsement process. Fantastic candidate. Uh, but Please, 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 people, we have to get involved. We have to get out of this. What is for a lot of us been four years since uh, many people have been on the doors or out doing this work because of the pandemic last election cycle. Got to get out of our digital. I love the digital world, but we got to get out and have those conversations. Uh, Robert, I want to give you an opportunity to ask a question of uh, Priscilla before we we're going to dive in and Priscilla's going to stay with us and we're going to talk more about some other issues, but just Robert, any questions you have for Priscilla about our election program? Let me play devil's advocate. And uh -oh. that's becoming even less of a metaphor given the moral quality of the opposition right now in this state, in this country. Uh, so there's record spending, massive dark money spending, the airwaves covered, digital ads, everything imaginable. You know, you go on on a door shift, it's like you're lucky to have con deep conversations with four people, right? That's a good, that's a, that's good. So why does this matter anymore? Is this an, isn't this an um, 
outmoded horse and buggy way of communicating and we should just give our money online to all email appeals and let the TV ads and <laughs> okay. digital ads fly. Okay, you're uh, uh, so, the email appeals. And by the way, Mandela, stop sending me so many damn emails. And Raphael Warnock. Stop the texts. Governor Evers, yeah. No, but I mean, it's a real, that's a real question because even us who are in this like sphere are already like oh my gosh please stop texting me can't imagine what like just everyday voters are like and it's only september uh so the way that we approach canvassing and phone banking that makes it a little different is it's not just transactional and i feel like that's the piece that makes the difference and if somebody comes to your door and they're like hey will you vote for mandela and then they just leave like, that's not what we're doing. We're talking to the people. We're getting to know them. We want to, we do what's called story sharing. So our, our volunteers at the door share their story and encourage the voter to share their story too. So I feel like that's what makes it a little bit different. And I really encourage everybody to try it out. Like I was not sold on it until I tried it on the phones. And I was like, oh, this is really great. I like having these conversations. Yeah, so. it's it's powerful. Yeah, I'll just say this. I you know, there's a lot of good folks of Shorewood uh, this primary who know a lot more about my family and my <laughs> kids and wh why I feel so motivated to get out and do this work. But it's really what we need to be sharing with each other, this sort of shared human experience of what we've been going through. And that's what cuts through, Robert, to kind of answer your question. I'd, I'm sort of doubling up here as someone who did doors like five days uh, for Darren and, and Mandela. It is the conversations are powerful uh, just to be connecting with a human at that level about something that we've all been experiencing living through the pandemic and this time of Trump, which is the defining issue. We're going to talk more about that later in the show. Um, and that cuts through the commercials, Robert, because the commercials, man, they're just wash over you. They're back uh, to back, you know? back. Oh, oh my God. Anti-Mandela, all of yeah. them. I think those conversations clear up all of that noise as yes. well. Yeah. Yes. And, and one other thing too, is having folks from Wausau and from our co-op in Wausau talk to other people from Wausau, right? And commiserate a little bit too about some of the stuff yeah. our side, maybe you don't like, like, are you tired of these damn texts? Tell Mandel I'm done with texting, right? You know, that's the kind of stuff that these conversations spark. They're honest, they're real, and they, they're not filtered by, oh, I'll wait for that you to reply to that text in a half hour. They're immediate, and that's powerful. Please don't forget that. And folks. I would just add, because I hope the audience knows I was playing devil's advocate there, <laughs> that interpersonal communication from someone in your community is more transformational. People move much more. So you as an individual don't have the scale of a TV ad, but think about this. People are thinking about other things, leaving to wash their dishes in the kitchen during the commercial. They're not really paying attention. So it's much more impactful and it can have a massive impact like TV if you get enough scale with enough volunteers. So that's why we're appealing to all of you that, that we need grassroots energy here because being on the right side, saying the right thing on social media, 
is not enough anymore. We are such a closely divided state. I'm telling you, grassroots volunteer canvassing can absolutely make the difference in both the U.S. Senate and the governor's race and the attorney general race and a number of contested and, assembly and Senate races. And with that, we have to take a break. You're listening to The Battleground Wisconsin with Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Welcome back to The Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. You can find us all over the digital spaces. But the other place you can find us is at your door, in your phone, in talking to you. We had a great conversation in the first and part talking of the show. About Matt, talking about Matt's kids. There you go. Talking about your life and why you care. But folks, we are going to, later in the show, the last two segments, going to be a fantastic interview Robert did with People's Action Executive Director, Solma Arias, our new Executive Director. Fantastic. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to talk too much more about it. Please listen to it. But before we do that, our last segment here with Priscilla, we're going to try to bounce around and talk about as many of the damn topics that are going on in this country and state this week. And I'm going to start by saying Joe Biden gave a great, I think, a very good speech at Labor Fest. But I think the most important thing about it was he continued this line of going after the mega folks, separating the mega folks from other Republicans, being very clear about that, but going directly at the mega folks and of course the fact that the party is essentially capitulated to the mega folks huge thing i want to get your thoughts on that as it relates to for example some news stories this week and i'll, I'll go to you first robert and then priscilla for your response tim michaels calling for pitchforks and torches right this just seems to be a continuing of the case and it's very clear biden is this is going to be what we're going to be talking about, uh, Robert. So I actually, as as the most of the audience knows, have advanced degrees in rhetoric. I was thrilled just to be in row three. Could have been row one, but I wanted to make space for, you know, for folks who were really excited to be in row one to see it, a president that up close giving that kind of address. And I just say that uh, all the Fox News, Tucker Carlson stuff about the 25th Amendment and Biden being addled, which I heard again last night is just not true. It was an energetic 40-minute uh, speech, and he was walk very active, walking up and down the stage. And he has moved, he's a moderate, but he's moved towards progressives because the Democratic Party is a coalition. He named two enemies, and we're always frustrated that the, the center often doesn't want to describe what is driving the problem and makes it abstract. And they won't call out the enemy usually. Exactly. Right. So he called out Big Pharma, said he lost them for 40 years and we'd finally beaten them. And that is the big deal about met negotiating opposition drug prices. Not that it's all drugs all at once, but it is like getting a whole, breaking down part of the Berlin Wall. That has been Big Pharma's big barrier, their wall against uh, the public having any say in what a fair drug price is. And I'm telling you, it opens the floodgates if we win elections. Now, he also, as Matt talked talked about MAGA, the media, mainstream media, which can be very narrow-minded, keeps saying, well, aren't you being inconsistent? You're trying to walk it back. They're refusing to understand the situation, which he's been very clear about, including in the Philadelphia speech and earlier. And that is that the MAGA wing of that party now dominates. Some Republicans have split off. Of course, they can't hold office now, right? They lose primaries. And a lot more know it's wrong, but for power reasons, go along. And so 
he is calling out what is, he's called them semi-fascist, I would say pre-fascist, gets all the ideology and hatred, see Tim Michaels later in, our, in this segment, right, that you need to actually get to the authoritarian rule, gives all the justification, all the emotions. And what's good about it, in addition to he's being clear about it, because it's become a major election issue, there are some polls that say it trumps the cost of living, which is shocking, which really tell you, tells you something. Uh, but on it, in addition to that, it gives people an escape route. It doesn't make sense to say, from a standpoint of, of practical politics, that all everyone who voted for Donald Trump is now a fascist and is, you know, off the map. And it needs to describe not only all the, the cowardly Republicans who go along, but a lot of voters who still respond to the repeals of hate and vote for a Trump, even though they should know better, you need to give them an escape route. And ultimately, the escape route is, because we need a conservative party to have a stable democracy, I'm a Republican, I'm not a MAGA Republican. I think it's a, it's a wedge, the way we want the wedge to run in the, in the middle of their party. Priscilla, you're a campaign professional. Uh, what what's your take on this? Are you happy with this tract and how do you think it uh, plays out electorally? Yeah, I am. I am pretty happy with this track. I think that um, having Biden be so clear about it without invoking violence, but invoking accountability, invoking the, hey, we're still watching. We, we're going to remember the votes that you have taken as MAGA Republicans. We're going to remember who you supported. Um, if you like, you have opportunity to, to move another route. So we're not giving up hope that you will move another route, uh, which I think is another important part of Biden's uh, visit was the hopeful piece of like, yes, we have this opposition, but we also have hope like vote and do other things as well beyond voting. So I like I liked having both of those pieces in there. I think it was important to have the both the the negative and the hopeful side of things look folks uh i just i don't know how you avoid how we avoid talking about this we talked about this after january 6th i've mentioned this numerous times on the podcast we've had conversations some of the deeper dives than others that this is this is the issue there's so many issues right abortion i i there's just so many issues i get that but ultimately if we don't have a functioning democracy, we don't have anything. There is nothing. <laughs> There's no place for us to, to, to take all the other issues that matter. There's no form uh, for us to really ferret this out effectively. And I think it's critical that Biden call this out because I think it matters immensely uh, to, to our democracy. And Robert, I'm going to come back to you. I do want to tell everyone all our listeners you need to watch the frontline documentary that came out this week lies politics and democracy it's one hour it is absolutely fantastic at tying all this stuff together um and why this is so important robert yeah i want to encourage people that democracy includes the, having fair elections and mechanisms of voting having equitable access uh, not having a state legislature name the candidate they didn't win the popular vote, have the, the electors given to them, not having fake electors presented like Ron Johnson did. It also means democracy has to work for people and represent the interest and, and the beliefs of average people. So what the Supreme Court has done, which has been packed by them, is deeply undemocratic. 
this is a very that the overturning of Roe versus Wade is deeply unpopular. Okay, and this is minority rule. Minority rule is also that 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 giving the state legislature supremacy is before the Supreme Court in the next session, which means we have to have two more senators so that we can add and uh, Supreme Court justices and rebalance the court. And also we need to hold the House so we can actually limit the court's jurisdiction as necessary, which is a power Congress has. And so Biden also gave a very pro-labor speech. He is the most pro-labor president maybe since World War II, I mean, which is real, you know, you're not saying that much if you say he's more than Obama and Clinton or Carter, but going back further, I mean, you have to argue. And the attack on unions was the beginning of the attack on democracy. It was the attack on workplace democracy, on free association. And he is committed to restoring democracy at work and the power of working people and passing labor law reform, which again requires two more votes in the Senate, including Mandela Barnes, to break the filibuster, then we have the votes. I just wanted to, before we go, I wanted to get both of you a quick comment on news this week that demonstrates why all this is so important, why I wanted to underscore democracy, right? We have we have a Waukesha judge this, just yesterday, I believe it was, disenfranchising. It's going to be thousands of voters by essentially saying that clerks can't go in and correct minor address corrections. So say your zip is wrong or you forgot the zip, right? That supposedly you no longer can, clerks can no longer go change that. Now that could potentially exclude around 7% of absentee ballots. That's a significant chunk of ballots, Priscilla. Yeah, I, there's no other word other than just disappointing. I, I I think I've gotten to the point as many people have of stop being surprised by mm -hmm. the blatant voter disenfranchisement that is happening in this state every single election cycle. It's always, we're always just waiting for the other shoe to drop of what's going to be taken away, when our ballot box is going to be gone, when are these laws going to be even tighter now? So it's it's frustrating that it can't, they can't just fix, like it's a minor little thing. Uh, and it's frustrating to think 7% of ballots could be turned away because they maybe wrote four digits for their zip code instead of five uh, or got smudged. Like that's, yeah, it's it's heartbreaking. It really is. Yeah, Robert. It's mostly zip codes and it's mostly the witnesses. And I've never done a mail ballot until COVID. And the witness thing is ridiculous. It's confusing. Okay? It's confusing. <laughs> It's, such really tiny little it. it's just another step yeah. to make voting harder, as is this. These are technical errors. If you have the address of the witness, you know their zip code. And in fact, Justice Hagerdorn, the only swing judge in the U.S. state Supreme Court, has pointed out that we never defined what a complete address is. So the idea that the zip code has to be there for the witness is not in the law. And then we have this Waukesha judge declaring this is illegal. You know, that's how Jim Crow worked. They created technicalities right. that in total disenfranchise people. And that is the same project Republicans before MAGA, before Trump had been engaged in. Scott Walker was engaged in it after the 2010 ele election. And so, frankly, this is all part of disenfranchisement. One problem we're, gonna, we're having is we can't just draw the line at insurrection, okay? Really, this kind of disenfranchisement has to be unacceptable. And we need a conservative party that is willing actually to stand by majority rule, which means having 
open access to voting, the first big lie, actually, there were a lot of earlier big lies, smoking's good for you, right? But all the corporate big lies, which led to the political big lies. But another big lie is that there is a whole lot of voting fraud and it relates in any way to photo IDs or all the other requirements. It was always a plan to disenfranchise people they thought wouldn't vote for them. In this case, they're going to disenfranchise a lot of their folks and they still don't care. And with that is why... I wanted to start the show where we did and tied everything up with a nice bow, right? Folks, democracy's on the ballot in both the narrowest and broadest of terms. And you need to get off the bench and start volunteering. We'll have a link for you to get off the bench and RSVP. We got phones, we got doors, we got other opportunities. We have organizers. We will find a way to get you involved, but you need to get off the bench Folks, one thing that I was going to say, some of our listeners aren't on the bench. And if you were in the home stretch, so if you're tired, you've been doing canvassing every weekend, keep it going. And other folks who haven't done it yet, join those folks that are already working so hard out in the field. With that, folks, we will see you next week at the Battleground. Enjoy the interview with Solmar Arias from People's Action. Hello, everyone. This is Robert Craig. We don't usually do this at Battleground Wisconsin, a quick preview of the next segment. We all know there's a crisis in democracy, but a lot of us are digging in more deeply into what its elements are and how it relates to how we build a new revitalized progressive movement. And one of those big pieces that we're involved in with ourselves at CIS National Wisconsin and with our national network, People's Action, is digging into how we can reinvent organizing and make it a tool for rebuilding community and breaking down barriers rather than creating new barriers between people. And Soma Arias is our new executive director. She's been thinking a great deal about this and she's acting. She is trying to create a consensus among organizing groups across the country to actually revitalize organizing. We're calling it an organizing revival. So this is a deeper dive than we usually do at Battleground Wisconsin, but I think it's important as we think about the role of grassroots volunteerism and organizing in a new a new a new multiracial american democracy that we revitalize and we rebirth right now since it is so under threat from a hateful and pre-fascist right so i hope you enjoy the interview welcome back to battleground wisconsin this is uh, robert craig we have a special guest uh, for the next two segments uh soma aria who is the new Um, who is the executive director of People's Action, which we've talked about often on Battleground Wisconsin. That is a national federation of groups like Citizen Action of Wisconsin that is in states across the country and is building national power through state and local power, through power building organizing groups. Uh, So Soma actually used to run a, a People's Action affiliate in Kansas and so she is very experienced with uh, what we are trying to do with uh, with voters in the upper Midwest. So Soma, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, Robert. I am excited to be here. So I just want to make sure our listeners know you a little bit, Soma, and your journey. Um, so could you say a little bit about, you know, you're an immigrant, uh, how, not only how you got here and where you came from, but how you got into social justice work and your journey. You also worked uh, at the national level mm-hmm. um, after you were leading at the state level. Right. So, you know, I am um, coming back home uh, to f- people's actions. Sort of, it feels like a 22-year 
um, cycle for, for me. I am, I'm, I am an immigrant. I migrated uh, to this country from El Salvador at the age of um, 13. Um, I'm also a product of people's action and, um, you know, the, the, I, I actually met Shell Trapp, one of the co-founders of People's Action, 22 years um, to the day that I that I started as as the as the ED of of People's Action. Um, you know, I, I was transformed by organizing. Uh, my life um, radically changed for from where I was. I was a a person who was doing a lot of church building and um, working. You know, in the in 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 the other um, side trying to bring about change through church building and the work I was doing there when a woman who had been mentored um, by Shell Trap uh, reached out to me and invited me and and to you know to organizing to knock doors with her um, in that relationship and that connection to that to that woman and later the training and, and understanding and and also I, I would say a little bit prior to that the understanding um, that you know, just by wishing people into a better having heaven or a better world beyond this world was not enough. And it, it, and I had been sitting for many years that even though I was doing good work um, in the church, that we needed more um, and that the injustice, the systemic injustices and the divisions and what was happening needed to be solved here and, and now. And, um, and, you know, at that moment in the fall of 1999, the... Um, organizing was really the answer for me and this network um, and the people I met here really brought me in, trained me um, and you know transformed my life radically to where to where I am today. And I, I love the fact that you came to it with a religious ethical background because I was greatly influenced my grandfather's a theologian. So I see this as my organizing as my church, so to speak as well. And likewise, yeah. Yeah, and we have, I think ethics has a lot to do with situation, right? We find ourselves in very challenging times. There was, and maybe to a fault, because so many people were left out. This is a country that took for granted that it was the first uh, large-scale democracy or representative government, and that we were always going we to be the beacon of hope for the world. But now other other democratic societies or those aspiring to be so see the United States very differently. Uh, we're experiencing what uh, some European countries experienced in the 20s and 30s, some of which uh, ended up in fascism, uh, we, yeah. we used to have pre-fascism. And I, I know that you are thinking about the role of organizing in this, but I wonder you might say a bit about how you see the current situation, because then what I'd really like to talk to you about is how an organizing revival, as you call it, can help address the current uh, crossroads we're at, the crisis in democracy and not, and that we face right now. And I say democracy broadly. I think our government not yeah. delivering for people, people falling behind inequality are all part of a failing of democracy too, not only the attack on the mechanisms of voting. Yeah, you know, I, in the 22 years that I've been organizing and 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 you're absolutely right. For me, um, and and 22 years ago, when I where I when I got into this work, and the reason why I got into this work is because there was curiosity uh, shown to me um, where from where I was at to where I am now. And I, in in return, in my 22 years, I've operated um, with that 
you know, ethic. I'm curious about people. I, I, I want to know what people think, do. I'm, I'm also about building community. And I think organizing at, at the heart is one about, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a process of transforming people through rela relationships. And it's also about building community, something that we know is missing in today's society, which I think is one of the factors to where we are and, and the divisions that we have in the, in the country today. Because when we can see the collective power that, you know, that we can bring um, and, and the change that comes through collective uh, power when we care about each other and when we dare to, you know, to sit and 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 stay with somebody who who may not think like us, um, and, and you know, stay in that relationship. I think there's power in that, and when there's power, um, also in building, you know, the kind of community that just focuses on like what is it that we collectively, what is our self interest? How do we make this a better neighborhood, a, a better, a better city, a better state? Um, and, and a better country. And so I learned a lot in my journey about bringing people together and working in, in settings where people were just looking out for each other and wanting to create a better state in the state of Kansas where I grew up. Um, and so when I, you know, when I um, started talking uh, to folks here at, at People's Action and heard that there was an organizing um, revival that was like we needed to come back and then I started talking to the directors and people across the across the country and um, really watching for the last seven years um, from the the from the lens of immigration so I spent the last seven years working leading one of the national networks on uh, on immigration reform and from where I've been seeing and kind of reading the landscape of the country, really seeing that we're in a moment in, in a country where like I, in, in my, you know, 40 years of living in this country and even in states like Kansas, I've never seen this kind of divide in, in the landscape and what we're trying to do. So, uh, so to me, an organizing revival and the reason why we need to get back to just being curious about people, about talking to each other, that if we don't do that, this, this, this entire country and our entire you know, humanity and community are, are in, in danger of like not being able to see one another for who we are instead of just our political affiliation. And of course, yes, we want to, you know, we want to talk, we want to talk about our differences and we're not always going to agree. But to me, an organizing revival is about going deep into ourselves to really understand um, and, and really push ourselves to look beyond ourselves and is, a, is also about looking outside and building what we call building a bigger we, which means that we can't always be speaking to the choir and preaching or preaching to a few people in the pews. We gotta be reaching other, other people and we gotta reach out to each other. Otherwise, um, we're not gonna continue to perfect this democracy and build it, build something that works for all of us, not just a few of us. And Soma, you know, we talked a lot about the multifaceted attack on democracy that really began decades ago when the ultra rich and large corporations want to get out from under responsibility, right? And uh, started creating huge disinformation campaigns and political power and an ideological movement that would justify it. It seems like much of that, listening to your framing, is an attack on community. Yeah. In other words, if I, on Tucker Carlson, Immigrants aren't people like you came and strengthened our our society and 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 added more voices, right? And a, and a mm -hmm. richer mosaic. 
Instead, yeah. they're just some sort of infestation breaking through the border. The other, the other, and yeah. somebody that supposed you're supposed to be suspicious about, and and they know that that works because when you know the the beauty that you know that I experienced in the state of Kansas is that there were a lot of people who yes they saw me different. There were a lot of people who I got to know, but you know most of them were were not people like me. And and when people gave give each other an opportunity to get to know someone who's like maybe the other. Um, they they understand that we're not we're a lot much more like than we think and that's what I experienced in in Kansas especially in the campaign that we put together in 2012 um, when the Secretary of State Chris Kobach was you know really vilifying and scapegoating uh, immigrants um, to pass um, anti voter legislation that really like was was at the end of the day going to actually hurt citizens um, and, and women and, um, and, and all people of color who could vote. Um, but it was, it was with the intention of voter suppression. It was with the intention of marginalizing um, a, a, over 300,000 voters, but using the fear and the mistrust of immigrants um, to do that. And so that, that continues to play out not only in Kansas, but throughout the country and in much bigger stage nowadays. And, you know, I think it's a lot easier to break up community than to rebuild it. That's and so right. we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I'd like to ask you to dig in a little more on how we would do that, how an organizing revival could do that. And then we can also get to how building that bigger base, the bigger we, the people not part of a movement now being inviting and bring people in. Um, how that affects political power. This is Battleground Wisconsin. Welcome back. You're listening to Battleground Wisconsin. Uh, we have the new, new-ish, I will say, Executive Director of People's Action, the National Federation uh, Citizen Action is part of, Soma Arias. And so Soma uh, was talking about in the last segment her experience and about the threat to democracy, which is in many ways an attack upon community itself, and what an organizing revival might be and how that would help address the problem of, as she just put it, uh, creating a, a greater we and being opening to bring new people into our into the progressive movement, not being a judgmental movement that expects people to already agree with us. That's not how you come into relationship community with people. So you could say more about what an organizing revival would look like, uh, Soma, and how it would, how it could change the United States and address the, the threat to democracy that we're facing right now. Yeah, you know, I think that I think that the the last what two three years of the of the pandemic of you know a, a kind of um, an event that is historic and most of us had not lived really like I think taught us um, two things. One is like, for some of us, it was like, wow, we, we've isolated ourselves. And it's like, it, it, it further, I think, emphasized um, the fact that, you know, we, we, we isolate, uh, isolate ourselves and we can be fine. Or, and, and also like, wow, I haven't been around people for a long time. I think a lot of us are longing. Um, and, I, and I have these conversations with hundreds of people across, uh, across the country. But I think the the country, humanity, individuals, you know, we all need, um, are, are 
relational beings. We need each other. And, 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 and to me, you, you mentioned something earlier about that, you know, for those who grew up in, in, in church and, and, you know, part of a, of a congregation, there's something beautiful and strong and grounding about being part of people who, who, who you get to see every week and that you have things in common with and that you feel in solidarity with. And, and that for me, that happened in church. And then it also happened in, in, org, in organizing, like the power of people coming together, talking about an issue that's happening in their neighborhood, in their community, and then aligning. To me, I felt that same grounding and that same power with, when I did that in church and when I did that in, in, in communities and, and in neighborhoods about you know, whatever the issue may be. But once we take those, those institutions that form community and we take them out of the community, we're left with the sense of, you know, individualism and, and, and sort of longing and loneliness that I think, you know, it's not healthy and, I, and, and, and it's not healthy for, for any of us. That not only does it, you know, create that um, feeling of div divisiveness and we're just clearly just listening to news or talking to ourselves on, or the few people in our in our small circle and the the organizing revival is really about reminding ourselves that we depend on each other and you know with with the use of internet and all the media that we can get to see not only for what's happening in this country but what's happening in other countries we're no longer we as a country we can no longer be siloed from what's happening um, around us and globally, so we understand that, that. But and then we also understand that they that the social media and that the people that we talk to does not replace pe talking to people and and really building community and having outlet for you know emotions for the anxiety that's happen happening um, in this country with climate change, with politics, with the divisions, and and so moving ourselves to get out of our bubble and really reach to people. A lot of us don't even know our neighbors anymore. And much less when we're talking to people, would we talk to people who are, um, who are wearing a red hat? Um, and so how do we, for, for us is how do we engage ourselves in those conversations? And in this moment where we wanna affect change, like how do we um, talk about the values, the kind of like get out from the rhetoric that we're hearing from you know, Fox, CNN, MSNBC, whatever you're listening to, how do we, actually get to talk to a real individual uh, that's in front of you so that you can get to know them at the core level and be transformed by that by that exchange and in in relationship and actually talking to another human being who, who may be different in you whether that might be an immigrant or or a person of color we need to get out of our silos and out of our individualistic um way that we're running uh from day to day especially now after after you know, a, a worldwide pandemic. How do you bring that to scale? You're talking about a cultural shift. I mean, historically, you could argue the greatest organizers in human history were the people who built out the current world religions because they aspired to make them universal and came pretty darn, you know, huge numbers of people uh, got involved in community. Uh, we face an immediate threat which is to the mechanisms of democracy itself, what's left of them. But there's an even there's the insidious threat that our our government isn't representative of the needs of the people, doesn't reflect their views, and doesn't address as our major challenges, both nationally and internationally. Climate change being just one of many, uh, that ra racial justice and a racial reckoning being another. Um, and so, how do you? Because you're leading an organization where we actually aspire 
to to make practically do this in order to shift the direction of, of American society. That's a huge aspiration. That is like founding or, or refounding a religion, though there's a progressive movement. It's re-centering re it anyway. So how, how do you build that out to scale? What does it look like just for our listeners? I know we don't have enough time to dig in all the tales, but just, you know. Yeah, so I would say three points. things. So I would say three things, Robert. And and because, um, look, we have, we have many progressive organizations. People's Action has a reach of, you know, close to 30,000, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, like close to 30 states. So we have a big reach, but it's not enough. If we're gonna do this to scale, we need to be committed to three things uh, as, as, as individuals, also as organizations, as networks, but we need to talk to, ev to every, everybody that we're li listening. And we're like, you know, we're, we're close to 30 states and then we have other networks, but look, we gotta be committed to reaching beyond the tent, the tent, that means, or beyond ourselves, right? Beyond the people that we typically talk to every day. We need to be able to transcend uh, partisanship. We, we need to also be committed to building this long-term. You know, we can look at history and I, I've been in this 22 years, I've seen people transformed and I, I've seen some wins and I've seen a lot of like step backs, but we need to be committed to however long this it takes. I am doing this because of my grandson, because of my children. And so we got to be committed to this, doing this work long-term. Um, and third, we got to, the, the, there is a set of like, what we what we call organizing fundamentals um, that you know, for, especially for new organizers or activists, that we've got to be committed to this. this there's no shortcuts in how we do the work. That means that it it, it is it needs to it needs to be patience. It needs to start with curiosity, and there are a sense a, sen um, a sense of like training and a set of skill set that we need to develop and continue to train. So we at People's Action are committed to that kind of. Um, discipline and training that it will take for for the next generation of organizers. Because a long time after you and I are gone, Robert, we can do our part in the next, you know, I, in my case, the next 10 to 15 years. Um, but this is my time and I'm committed to this work because I believe that the that the next generation of organizers are the ones who are really gonna bring about this change. And what I would say to them is that yes, it requires commitment, um, and, and speaking to the people that you're not talking to, um, and it will require commitment to do this long-term and not get discouraged when it doesn't happen in the next two or three or four years. And third, you gotta, you gotta have a set of uh, fundamental skill set that you need to uh, be able to put in place and, um, and, and you know, build around those three. And every, at the moment, Robert, just to say, Every organization across our network um, in those 30 uh, states have a commitment to this because this is not, you know, just my vision. This is really a, a vision and a commitment of this network. So to build to scale, everybody in the network in those states are, are using those, are committed to those, to those three areas of being, being, being committed, being in this for the long haul and really like a set of fundamentals and training that we're training our staff, our organizers across the country uh, to equip them to do the work that we must do. So let me run a proposition by you because this is a very politically minded uh, audience because Wisconsin is distorted by being such an important state electorally. It's like every election's critical national election in Wisconsin, it, it seems. 
Uh, and that is, this could seem like really hard and too long term, right, to people. Like we have a crisis now, but an alternative proposition would be that kind of establishment Democrats, consultants, the people who run campaigns right now, they by necessity have to work within the broken now and that limits what they can accomplish. So they're trying to get to 50% plus one in Wisconsin, which is always a very expensive and difficult proposition and seesawing either way based on context, right? What's going on um, and in the world. And so doing this work can change things. So when people ask, where are the people of color in the room? Where are the rural people in the room? It's because we haven't built relationships long-term. It seems like this can change power so that you, you are working on a different terrain once you're in elections. In many ways, Democrats have jumped ahead and not done the fundamental thing you need to do in order to actually shift power. Yeah, that that's a great proposition, uh, Robert. And I think it fits under the point that I that I mentioned. We've got to be committed for the long haul, and we have got to understand the have a have a uh, a clear assessment of the landscape. And so, what I call I call everything that I talked about, like the, the it's what I call the evergreen. Like, right? We constant we have to bring back curiosity for people that that has to be like the evergreen we must always be looking to people with curiosity that's that's that that needs to be like how we practice that organizing but the but the thing when we comes when it comes to what can we win now in the in the electorally politically with campaigns we have got to have a clear assessment i feel like that sometimes we activist organizers are are working out of um, out of an analysis of the political landscape that might have been from ten or twenty years ago, and I and I just want to say to us, I mean, let's have a real honest conversation about the power that we have, about the divisiveness that we have in Congress, and even even when we elect, we have a trifecta, right? Like all of the all all, all of the things that are like actually adding um, and making this landscape what we have today, right? Like. We, this is how much we can win now versus what we want to build to win later. So a clear and strategic analysis of the landscape and, and the power that we have and the power that we need to 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 um, to, to build. Right. Like, you know, the the um, Inflation Reduction Act is a good example of like, you know, there's a lot of divisive of, of divisiveness over how much how good it is or how bad it is. And to me, even if we want 30% of what we wanted, how, my main question is how are we building, how are we politicizing and, and bringing people together around the things that, that are in the bill, which is you know, some, of, some of that stuff is historic, that can change people's lives right now. But that's the same way with candidates. Like we don't have, we're never gonna have the perfect candidate, right? We're trying to elect uh, more people who are like, really looking 40, 30 years that, that are, but we don't have enough of those um, right now because we got to understand the landscape and what we got to be working on uh, now, what we can win now versus what we can build later. Let's build with what we can win, even if it's 30 and 40% or 20%, but let's build with that and let's be pragmatic when it comes to that so that we can continue to build power for the long haul. And that's the way we see it. Our theory at 
Citizen Action Wisconsin would be like with our climate action planning, let's build the maximum of what we can build with our current power, but in that process, build more power to get more. And I just think when you talk about a compromise, whether you should accept it or not, if you're going to reject it, you better have a good theory of how rejecting it builds more power and gets us closer to our final end than accepting it. Right. Yeah, and that's where doing good organizing comes into play because if you do the kind of transformational organizing that creates a, lo a long-term vision for the future, people come in not for just the campaign, the political campaign that's going to, and, and, and that's how we redefine the win. And that's how we build the kind of warrior mentality where like, look, I'm in this because this is just how as a, as a human being I operate. And this is like, this is how I get involved. This is how I have agency about my life and the decisions that are made in, in these places. This is how I'm at the table. Um, but I'm, I'm in this for the long haul. And it, this is not about whether we win this next campaign or next election. It's about what I'm created, creating for the, for the two generations or the seven generations ahead of me. Now, of course, to keep people motivated, it's good to get some wins, but then to understand that you can't be disappointed because it's something we didn't get something beyond our current power. Exactly. Being dedicated, as you said, to fighting to build that power, right? And dedicating ourselves to it. Absolutely. So this was a great anecdote to a lot of the election talk in Wisconsin, where we tend to be very short-term oriented around the next election in front of us. So thank you for all you're doing. I'm really just thrilled that you're leading people's action and leading this work. And uh, we will keep everyone up to date in Battleground, Wisconsin, and how the organizing revival is uh, uh, progressing. And hopefully we'll have a new U.S. senator here uh, to work with us on the federal part of power building. So a chap people's action, citizen action, Wisconsin champion. So thank you very much, Soma, for taking the time and having this deeper, deeper kind of conversation. And can I say one more thing about Wisconsin? Because, you know, there's like, because I've, I've, I've run state campaign and I know that when you're in the state, you sort of have a, a view and a landscape of the state. But for us at People's Action, because we're looking at 30 states and we're looking at Wisconsin as the spotlight and a theory of where, where we can, we can um, elect somebody who's gonna make such a difference. Every, our eyes are in Wisconsin right now because we think that this proves a theory of change that we can win what we can win now and we can we can move. But look, if we if we if we win, if if Mandela Barn wins, then this changes the whole landscape of what Senate we go into. So for us, um, eyes, it's it, it's on the it's you know it's ground zero for us, and so we're committed and we're all watching and supporting from afar. So. Good luck to you, and thank you for all the incredible work that's happening in Wisconsin. And we're against dark forces. We're seeing it on TV right now. The Every community-destroying emotion is being thrown at Mandela Barnes right now. And so yeah. uh, only good organizing is going to overcome it and then build a new America. So thank you for everything you're doing, Soma. Thank you, Robert. So thank you for joining us this week on Battleground Wisconsin. Until next week, keep fighting and get involved and volunteer.